the First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the great food personality, Melissa Clark. And Melissa has been writing for the New York Times for many years. I often feel that she sort of holds me by the hand and takes me to a lot of different places I might not have been before, a lot of different thoughts about food. She writes a great column. Cookbooks does it all. And certainly the world of food is changing. But then it's always been like that. Do you sense it or it's more of the same? Oh, I feel like it's always changing. You know, people are um, interested in learning more about um, ingredients. They're interested in learning more about different cultures. We have new um just so many new and up and coming voices in food who are adding their recipes and their ideas to the conversation. I feel like it's one of the most thrilling places to be. It is. And you know, it, it wears so many hats. You know, I often say it's our persistence of memory. It's our link to all those who came before us and those who are coming ahead of us. When I make recipes that go back to the family, I can feel them and see them and hear them. And that's the miracle of all of it. And you keep it going. And you know, that is the miracle. It's so true because it is, you know, the most tangible way to be in touch with our past. Right. I feel like taste is so visceral and immediate. Um, you know, you can look at a photo of your grandmother who maybe died a while ago and you can look at her photo and remember her. But it is so much more immediate to make her kugel. <laughs> or, you I know, know and it's, it's like, right. It's all do you have true. family recipes that you use? Because I have so many family recipes. I use. Do you have like a few that are like, this is grandma's something or your mother's something? Yeah, of, of course. And we were such a foodie family. I mean, it was the big deal. Every meal mattered. And I would say it started early in the morning when I could smell my mother frying hamburgers at seven in the morning and then smushing them on soft white bread so it would get all greasy and juicy and oh, pack yeah. them as a school lunch. Every kid oh, wanted my lunch. lunch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they they all wanted lunch. it. I know. Well, they were seriously into food. How did you grow up? Yeah, same thing. My, you know, we were the we were that family where we'd sit down to one meal and talk about the next meal. Exactly. You know, it was meal to meal, and it was always it, it was always so exciting to think about what we would eat next, even when we were in the middle of enjoying something. You know, we'd sit down to a beautiful breakfast. Um, you know, on school days, even my mom was the same way. You know, there was always a fried egg and toast for me. Yeah, something um, good. Something good, right? Like a delicious fried egg and toast and jam. And then, you know, we talk about, okay, well, what should we have for lunch? And then at lunchtime, what should we have for dinner? And where should we have, what should we have for dinner the next night? And that continuing conversation was our best link, our best connection. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn. We had plenty of great food back then. Um, there's even more in Brooklyn now. It's crazy. It's so great. Uh, but it was, you know, there was all the traditional, you know, Brooklyn places. And we would, we, my parents were good cooks, fantastic cooks, but we went out all the time too. Yeah, which is great. We went out, but it was mostly Sunday nights when that was the night that we all went out for dinner. 
and we loved it. But I loved eating home too, because it was always like a house party and always something absolutely delicious. Did you always try a new restaurant on Sundays or did you go to the same place and were you a regular? We went to the same place. We went to a place in the five towns called Wilshire's and it was sort of a glorified delicatessen, but more, you know, and they were famous for their huge sandwiches. They had things like turkey and tongue Mm. and it's, Everyone thought it was delicious, but I couldn't make myself eat the tongue. And of course, my father, the minute it was served, would start mooing. And that was the (laughs) end of it for for the kids. We would say, do you have to do that? And he did. And that was the end. And then, of course, he got all the extra sandwiches. Exactly. He was, you know, he was smart. He was uh, psyching you out of your tongue. (laughs) He was so... I'm talking to Melissa Clark from the New York Times. So how did you get started making this your life's work? I started out as on the writing side of things. I went to um, Columbia to do an MFA, and I knew I wanted to focus on nonfiction writing. And as I was writing my stories and my profiles, I realized that every single story I told started with a lens of food. Food was the way I saw the world. If I was writing a profile, I talked about what that person was eating or liked to eat or liked to cook. Um, if I was writing a news story, even I would, I would, you know, kind of look at the food. It was there a food angle. If there was, I would bring it out. When I was writing memoir, I was wrote it through the lens of the meals I would eat with my family. So food was just my way of looking at the world. Oh, and if I was looking at any kind of cultural story. You know, again, it was like, how does food work in a particular community? Um, And then I started, and I always cooked. I was always a cook. I learned from my parents. Um, We grew up cooking. It was like our family hobby. And so then I started putting together recipes. It just came naturally. It was just one of those things where I would look at what I had in the fridge, even when I was, you know, early on in college, I had a little dorm room kitchen, and I would Mm -hmm. just put things together. And as I got more secure in that, I went back to culinary school, and I took courses, and I learned more so that I could start really developing recipes. So but it was this combination of writing about food and writing, writing about food, and then cooking, that made me want to have a career as a food writer. And these were early days. This was back in the nineties. And um, I don't know if you remember that little thing called the internet, which was just starting back then. And so I was, you know, I was in a good place. People needed content providers for websites. And I hung my flag out. You know, I put my little plaque out on the door and said, okay, I'm a food writer. And And there you were. And there I was. Yeah. At the right place at the right time with the right skill set, and, you know, the right passion. Which is amazing. Now, do you, even now, you cook and you like to cook a lot? Absolutely. I cook as often as I can. I mean, not every night, you know, we go out a lot. We have to go out at least to twice a week. Foods. Yeah, cause exactly. I need to stay up on things and I need to be inspired and, and see what other people are doing. But I always say that even at the end of an exhausting day, you know, cooking is how I wind down. It's my it's my weekend at the end of the day. It's my my relaxation time. So I'm always happiest in the kitchen. I'm chopping. The rhythm of chopping is meditative to me, mm. and it just it brings my blood pressure right down. If I've had a rough day, I 
want to cook even more. <laughs> I, no, I, I understand. <laughs> I hate it. My husband, it's so funny because when I go out without my husband and daughter, they're so excited to order in without me. They're so happy. Like, oh, we get great sushi night. <laughs> like, oh, you guys have fun. I know. And that's, that's what they love. My granddaughter, who is um, 11, decided she wants to be a, a, a um, food critic. I said, oh, you want to be a restaurant critic? Yes. And then I remembered that when she was little, instead of bragging about all the things she did, you know, she walks, she talks, she does this, we said, she ordered calamari. We were more <laughs> excited about that. I said, no wonder the kid is focused on one thing. <laughs> Because we it's, were so you know, approving. That's it's so, it's, you know, we are who our parents made us, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely true. And do your kids love to eat or did you have I only eat white? You know, it's funny. She She's a pretty good eater. She's getting better. She's 15 at this point. But right. um, she, said she is one of those texture people. She does not go for certain textures. So she and I are the perfect Jack Spratt couple. She will not eat any fat. So I eat all the fat off her plate. <laughs> That's <laughs> really like, interesting. Does she say why? It's a texture. It's a texture Oh, thing. the texture of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, she's perfectly fine, you know, with hot, you know, she'll eat ice cream and butter and all this, but like the fat on, um, on a piece of steak. Or She'd cut it off. Little, Yes, or the sinewy bits on a chicken leg or a chicken thigh, you know, no. or if skin isn't perfectly crisp, if there's a little bit of softness to a chicken skin, or forget, she won't eat it. <laughs> but then she's that's not. Because I will. And it's good to, you know, it's good because she, I like that she's her own person and she, um, there, and there's certain flavors she doesn't like. Um, but it, textures are are very important to her, which is interesting because I never thought about texture as being the primary thing for me. No, but but that is interesting and interesting to share that, especially in um, in your business. So I like to hear all that. You're doing more cookbooks, too. Yep. I'm always working on a cookbook. I've got one coming up that I'm working on. Um, it won't be out for a couple of years, but it's going to be a big teaching book because I think one of the things I've learned is how to substitute different ingredients and how to use a recipe as just a guide and really how to, you know, I can look at any recipe and I can say, these are the important things in this recipe that I must do for it to come out and everything else is negotiable. So the whole cookbook is going to be written like that. It's going to be pantry friendly. It's going to be easy for people. And it's also going to teach people how to be more intuitive cooks. Um, so I'm excited about that. No, I like that. And teach people not to be afraid. Exactly. It's, and so much emphasis. Now, we've all gone through trends in the world of food, in every world, but in the world of food, too. Is there anything new now that is the big deal? Oh, my gosh. There's always something new. Um, one of my favorite new things, though, it's not new, new, but it's it's becoming extremely popular and it makes me so happy. Have you just seen pistachio everywhere? I've seen pistachio everywhere. Pistachio, so pistachio, pistachio paste. <laughs> Have you seen it? I, it's, I was at a dinner and the course was salmon 
and it was brushed. The whole top was crispy pistachio all over the top. And it was delicious. Yeah, I feel like pistachios are having a moment, and I am happy to be here for this moment because I absolutely love them. We like them. them. I do, too. (laughs) I love them. Do you have a favorite food? Oh, gosh. That's such a hard question. I I know know, people ask me stuff like that. It's like in the the food universe. I mean, there's so many different categories. Um, I can tell you something I don't like. How's that? Because that's easier. (laughs) Yes. Why? I don't like Jerusalem artichokes. There you go. Sunchokes. Okay. Don't like them. Yeah, that's okay, because not everyone likes those. I rarely see them on the table. You know, it's funny. Once you develop an aversion to something, you see it a lot more often than you'd think. Um, In winter, they come out in farm-to-table restaurants. People are always excited about their Jerusalem artichokes. And I always say, nope, nope, not for me. (laughs) That's funny. And what do you find about meat or beef? Do we you know, are I, we still not doing it? We're still not doing it that often. I mean, I love a good steak and I love a hamburger. Oh my god, I love it so much. But I limit. I really. I have been trying to limit my beef to you know twice a month. That's so, it. Yeah, I mean, I don't always succeed, and especially around you know we just were coming out of the Jewish holidays and there was brisket and there, so but, all that. But stuff, I try. Right? Yeah, but I've been trying to cut you know to keep my red meat, both beef and lamb down to twice a month. So, so but when I eat it, I love it so much. (laughs) So at the Clark household, what is a popular dinner? We eat, we've been, we've been um, eating a lot of uh, vegetarian meals. I have learned how to do new good things with tofu. I've been, we've been really enjoying tofu. It is something that the whole family likes. I fry it till it's crispy in olive Mm. oil. And it's delicious. And you, know, you can put any sauce on it. It's going to taste good. So we, we eat a lot of tofu. We eat a lot of, and you, um, we eat a lot of roasted vegetables, all kinds of vegetables all year long. Whatever vegetables are in season, I, throw, I cut them up, coat them in olive oil and salt, throw them in the oven at 425, mm. and they come out delicious. So we eat a lot of that. We eat a lot of, um, uh, pot, we eat a lot of pasta. You know, which we love. We all love pasta. So there's so many good meals and chicken. We eat chicken, not every day, but we eat it a couple of times a week, um, or at least once a week. We'll have a delicious chicken with a crispy skin. And uh, do you roast it, bake it? <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite it? way to get it crispy? Yeah, I will roast it either a whole chicken or I'll cut it into parts and roast the parts. But I love a roasted chicken. I love that mm-hmm. flavor. I do too, and that's a major persistence of memory because when I grew up, a roasted chicken was definitely a staple. You know, right near the weekend on Fridays, there would be a roasted chicken with a million other things, but the roasted chicken would definitely appear. And it was so crispy. And I get a kick out of when my kids will say, make a chicken, but make sure it's crispy. That's <laughs> like well. every household, right? 
Yeah, no, you taught them well. It's important to be able to, and that's like one of those basic skills. I think that if you eat meat, you should learn how to roast a chicken and, and, and do it really well. But the thing about it is it's so easy once you know, like, I mean, to get a crispy chicken, to get good chicken skin, chicken skin needs to be dry. You need to pat it really dry with paper towels. You need to, if you have time, let it sit uncovered in the fridge for an hour or two so the skin dries out. Then you oil it, then you roast it, and then you get a crispy skin. So wait, so you definitely don't leave out the rubbing it with oil, right? Oh, I mean, that's no, you have to rub it with oil. It. Yeah, that's part of it. You have and to have oil on it. Olive oil? I use olive oil, but you could use, um, you know, grapeseed oil if you want or um, avocado oil. People are crazy about that one. Um, you can use butter. Yeah, that's always good. Yep. Nothing wrong and- with a little butter on your chicken skin. Right. Does your daughter eat meat? Yes, she does. And she's very happy to eat meat, just as long as there's no fat on the edges. <laughs> well, she's pretty <laughs> smart, right? I don't know. I like that, those fatty bits. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody. But that's, you know, I sort of feel, because my, my kids, too, will avoid the fat. But we grew up with people loving the fat, especially if it got crisp. Yeah. So exactly. that was all part of childhood, eating yeah. that stuff. And we loved it, just like frying the hamburger for the lunchbox. You know, I can yeah. just he- right here, I can hear my daughter going, ugh, that sounds awful. It <laughs> sounds delicious sounds to me. Sounds delicious to me. That's what we like. And when you go out for dinner, it's catch as catch can, or do you have favorites? Well, I'm always look on the lookout for a new place. I mean, I have a few places I go to in Brooklyn that I really love that are my neighborhood places. But I, I like to try new places because I like to get inspired. I like to see what chefs are doing um, and just, you know, learn something new. So when I go out, I always order the thing on the menu that I think I don't know how to make. <laughs> I'm like, how do they yeah. do that? What are they thinking? Or something that expresses the chef's vision, something singular, you know, and interesting. And to me, that's part of the fun of going out is that discovery. And now your faithful readers, what do they really look for and want from you more than other things? You know, it's funny. I think they want two things from me. They definitely want the stories behind the recipes. Right. We all love the story. Yeah. People love the stories that I do, too. I mean, if you love to read, you love the stories. But they also want quick weeknight meals because people need to know something. They want ideas of something delicious to make for their families for dinner. So I try to give them that, even though sometimes I do baking recipes or I'll do more involved weekend recipes. The heart of my column, they're simple weeknight recipes that don't use too many ingredients that you can get on the table, you know, in, you know, fairly quickly. And, um, and I think in general at um, NYT cooking, that is the biggest um, priority for us is to make sure we have enough interesting weeknight meals that people can come to us and say, what do I make for dinner tonight at 4 PM? They can, we can, and we can tell them. And if your family, you say you can choose what do they choose more than other things, or it's varied? Pasta. My daughter will always pick pasta. Oh, and you know, my husband. She loves, I do this pasta. It's funny because, you know, she is a little bit picky, but this is something that she loves. I do pasta with anchovy breadcrumbs, and mm. she goes nuts for it. So it's super simple. It's like a midnight pasta, 
garlic, anchovy, olives. Sometimes I'll put in there. And she loves all those things. And toasty, salty, crunchy breadcrumbs right on top. That's a big, so that is, that's her birthday meal. That's what she loves. That and mac and cheese. (laughs) And my my husband loves, you know, he loves salmon. We do wild salmon just really simply, you know, and that's a big, that's a big favorite of his. And what's your favorite birthday meal? Ah, that's a really good bagels and locks. <laughs> that's so funny. You, I love that. I love that. I love that. Give me bagels and locks and I am a happy girl. That's, and that's one of the few things I don't like. I don't know why. Oh, that's it funny. Was a common meal on Sundays in our house, you know, but it was something... I think I grew up with a grandfather who liked everything overcooked, everything overcooked Mm. and Mm -hmm. well done. Mm -hmm. So I sort of kept to that with too many things, including smoked salmon. It reminded me too much of rare beef. Ah, understood. So it never was one of my favorites, even though like you, Everyone loved food in the house, so they would try things or experiment, or if they didn't think they would like that, there were always two things, you know, leftover beef things made into, whatever. We ate a lot and ate well, and anyone who came by was always welcome to the table. Wow, that's true hospitality. Yeah, and I'm sure you grew up like that too. Yes, my grandmother called our house the Clark Hilton. Because everybody That's was always coming funny. in and out. <laughs> and was she a good cook? My grandmother? Oh, no, terrible. <laughs> so my, my, my parents had to rebel, and they, they became good cooks because they loved food so much, and they weren't getting it at home. No, my grandmother, uh, my grandmother on my father's side, um, was she made great baked apples, um, but that was about it, and overcooked everything else. And on my mother's side, she could do a nice tuna salad with chopped hard-boiled egg. That was about it for her. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's interesting (laughs) that coming from that background, you ended up with a big career in the food world. You know, my grandparents gave me lots of qualities, but uh, (laughs) their cooking cooking, um, prowess wasn't among them. That's really funny. And at what stage did you know that this was going to be your work, really be your work? In my in graduate school, when I was doing my MFA at Columbia, I just knew that I was telling too many stories through food not to be writing about food directly. And it works. And what it works. was your first job? My first job? My first um, food I, job. I, my first food job was working at a, um, a magazine that was um, it was a publishing company that was working on a food magazine in development, and it never actually went to press. But we developed six issues of a really great food magazine called Great American Home Cooking, um, and it, it was uh, owned by um, a Scandinavian company that wanted to break into the American market with this magazine that never happened. But we had the best time putting together six test issues. Mm. And I did that for um, two years. And that was my first job. That was, um, you know, right out of grad school. Yeah, right out of grad school, I did that. And then the job after that was... Then I started freelancing. Yeah. So that was right. hard? 
it was hard. Freelancing is always hard, but I think it was easier when I was doing it than it is now. Um, I feel terrible for all the freelance food writers because um, the actual, the compensation has gone down. You make less now than you did in 1997. Mm. And, um, and, and I think that's horrible and wrong. So, um, but I, so I was in a good time. I was, it's at a really good moment where I could make a living as a freelancing food writer. And then I started freelancing for the times in 1997. And it's, you know, I've been there ever since. I know it's funny. You know, you put your foot in the door over the step and next thing you know, there you are. <laughs> I've moved right in. <laughs> you move, Well, good. Where thank goodness you did. You take us through a lot of dinners when I think, what am I going to make tonight? I always have you worried about it ahead of me. <laughs> and we That's can go <laughs> right. We can go straight on. Does your daughter like to cook? Uh, no, not she likes to um, make um, whipped cream. She loves making her. whipped cream. Yep, <laughs> and then she eats it right out. Of, she, she does it in a jar. You put the cream in the jar with some maple syrup. This is her technique, and then you shake it until it's thick. And then wow, she just that's a spoon lot of and, shaking. <laughs> she likes the shaking, and um, then yeah, then you just take a spoon and eat it right out of the jar. That's mm. Dahlia's recipe for whipped cream. Wow, is she a dessert eater? She's a dessert eater. Yeah, and are you a dessert person? Oh my God, I'm such a dessert person. <laughs> are you a dessert person? Ah, oh, the worst. I love. <laughs> I never met sugar, butter, and flour that I didn't like together. Yeah, exactly. I love, and I love dessert. All kinds of desserts, puddings, and custards, and cakes, and pies, and everything. I just love, well, I grew up with a lot. Friday was cookie day at home. Oh, so, nice. Right? And little butter cookies. You know, there's a restaurant in New York, Elio's, on 2nd Avenue, in the, um, right around this area. And they serve at the end of the meal these little round plain butter cookies. Speaking mm. of childhood and persistence of memories, they are so good. The simplest cookie, but they are delicious. Oh, they sound great. And, Those yep, are the best. And we like them. And we like having you at the New York Times. Thank you, Melissa, my dear. And oh, what's, well, what's thank you. on? What's coming up? Anything you can reveal? Oh, absolutely. We are already working on our turkeys. I am oh. working. I have six turkeys in my uh, <laughs> uh, in process right now in various uh, states of um, refrigeration, baking, mm. roasting, and um, cooling. So I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, stand by. Um, we're doing, I'm doing a make-ahead turkey this year at NYT Cooking. So these are for people, you know, if you have to make your turkey ahead and bring it somewhere and heat it up, I'm going to tell you the best ways to do it the best strategy so that is figuring all that out now i love yep. that because i always my job are turkeys and i bring two and the thing is dare i make the second one ahead because i just two big turkeys don't necessarily fit in the one city oven yes exactly well joan i'm going to tell you the best way to do it ahead so you could do one ahead and one that day I can't wait. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> Thank you, Joan. All the best to you and your family. Melissa Clark, 
from the New York Times. She's been writing columns for the food section for many years and tells us everything that's going on. In addition, how to do it, the most important information. I look forward to talking to you again, and thank you all for sharing, Melissa. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC.